The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. I am your host, Karen Spriggs. I am a registered nurse and clinical consultant with Coloplast. Brandy Caps, BSN RN, has served as the Duke Pediatric Urotherapy Nurse Clinician for nine years. She graduated from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro in 2000 with a bachelor's degree in nursing. Brandy has worked at Duke for 19 years in both inpatient and outpatient settings. She currently runs all of the urodynamic and biofeedback studies for Duke Pediatric Urology. She has been a PUNS member for nine years and is part of the urodynamic special interest group. She works with the spina bifida patients and families to teach urinary catheterization. She also trains the patients on peristine and cone enema systems for their bowel management program. Brandy also manages or teaches the spina bifida patients after Mitrofenoff and or MACE surgeries on post-operative care and how to catheterize their stomas. So to set the foundation for our discussion today, please explain the diagnosis of spina bifida. Yes, so spina bifida is a birth defect. It is something that occurs when the spine and the spinal cord do not form properly and basically is on the outside of their spine. So it's just more open. And this happens in development when in, in mom's tummy so or in her womb. So this is a neural tube defect. The neural tube is a structure in, that develops in the embryo that eventually becomes the baby's brain and spinal cord and the tissues that enclose them. So it's very important for them to have surgery kind of um, within the first day or two of life to have that closed because you don't want that opening open to risk infection or other problems. So what are some of the common challenges that you see for school-aged children with spina bifida? Yes, so school-aged children, um, they are just kind of figuring things out. They typically um, are trying to figure out their bowel and bladder continence and figuring out you know, walking or whether they'll be able to, and also just cognitive learning. And um, a lot of children with spina bifida can have ADHD, and so that's managing that, um, which we don't do, but our, our developmental pediatrician will help them out with that and give them um, medication if needed or certain resources to help them to understand if that's something they need. But they do face those challenges and also just trying to start the process of having them to try to um, become a little more independent and learning how to do their own self-care is kind of the first steps of a child in school age. All right. And based off the identified challenges, what interventions are commonly utilized to offer independence in this age group? So medications, if they do have ADHD, um, of course, incontinence supplies a lot of, like we talked about, a lot of children with spina bifida usually um, cannot uh, feel or know when they have to use the restroom, whether peeing or pooping, um, or whether if they can't pee at all, so it's a lot of them need to have um, catheters, so catheterization and self-care of that. Due to a study we do called urodynamics, sometimes we have to put children on medication for their bladder, so that's very helpful um, to keep their kidneys safe. A lot of times 
Um, children with spina bifida, their bladders can be unsafe and have a higher pressure, kind of like as if you take your blood pressure, you don't realize it's high unless someone takes it periodically. That's kind of how I explain it to my parents. And so we are basically putting a catheter in and filling their bladder up and monitoring their pressure in their bladder. And that lets us know if they're at risk for kidney damage long-term. And sometimes medications like anticholinergics can help assist and help lower that pressure to allow them to hold more urine. And, And alternate is they can become continent with it sometimes. Another um, intervention as far as their bowels, when they're in diapers, you know, we'll put them on softeners. They can become very constipated. They don't stool at all. Sometimes um, more now, I think with our registry, we have our parents fill out a questionnaire. And because of this, and we've been doing, I think we are now in our second or third year, we have learned a lot about the quality of life of children with spina bifida. And because of that, we have strongly linked fecal incontinence, uh, so stooling on yourself, to be a a lower impact of quality of life and therefore they may not go get a job later on in life. So we have actually been a lot more diligent in um, becoming and and thinking of a bowel program more early on, even as young as age two um, or younger, um, to make sure that they are becoming, uh, getting their bowel program better. Um, So some of that is putting them on cone enemas a lot sooner than we would uh, five years ago. Um, another is the parasting. Parasting is something we can transition children into, um, especially around school age or a little older, when they want to start becoming a little more independent. That is a system that they can do themselves as opposed to the cone enema. So those are some 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 challenges that can be faced, but they usually are, are easily overcome. Great, thank you. What are some of the common challenges for the teenager with spina bifida? Yeah, teenagers, you know, uh, let alone themselves, are a challenge in their own. (laughs) I have to, so. (laughs) Um, But it's very similar with school age. It just really depends. Sometimes they're not ready for the independence, so they're still trying to figure out their independence and trying to figure themselves out. I mean, that's what teenagers do, just trying to figure out where they fit and everything. Um, So they're dealing with a little more peer pressure than most, especially if they're still in incontinent supplies and maybe getting teased more. So they deal with a lot more challenges and plus trying to figure out how they're being accepted by others. Um, Especially if they're in wheelchairs or using this stick cane. Most definitely. So So it's just figuring all that out and, and where they fit in. Um, And then also, you know, they're just trying to become more independent regarding their care. Um, That's where we try to lean them to. Some are not ready for that and some just aren't ready to face that. So every child is different, but we try to lean them in that direction that, you know, at some point you need to know what this medication is for. You need to know when you're taking it. You need to know the name. You need to know what size catheter you're using, who your company is, your supplier. All of these things are challenges that they have no clue about unless you kind of bring them up. So that's just something we try to bring up. Not that we're rushing them, but it just makes them, the more they hear it and then the parents hear us talk about it, then the more maybe they will be adapt to kind of be ready for that. So based off of these identified challenges, what interventions are commonly utilized to offer independence in this age group? Yeah, typically the best to start um, is to begin to having to care for themselves. By um, by the time they're adolescent, they can reach their full potential. So typically, you know, having them 
half themselves. But, you know, sometimes that's even a challenge in itself because if they are in a wheelchair, you have challenges with that. If they're not, it's a little less challenges, but then maybe they can't grip the catheter really well or, you know, it's just all different kind of aspects that you have to look at um, when you're getting them to their independence. Sometimes, you know, children um, may have a shunt. Maybe they can't remember the name of the medication, but you can help them by, you know, having them write it down and different things like that. So it becomes its own little challenge and trying to get them to their potential to get them where they, they want to be, you know, because ultimately it's their goal, not ours. I mean, we would love for them to be independent, but it's ultimately their goal and something that the parents can kind of steer them in that direction to help them to want to be that way and to be more independent for themselves. Okay, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What are some of the common challenges that you find for the college-age young adult patients with spina bifida? Yeah, um, so with with college age and young adult, um, of course, sometimes, just like with the others, they may not be ready and they're still learning to take care of their own health care needs. Sometimes at this age, they now need to learn how to set up their appointments, call when there's problems, ask for refills for the medications, or I'm running low on my supplies. Can you call, can you figure out what the supplier, what's going on? Um, all those kinds of things. Another is, you know, they're getting to where they're starting college. How are they going to get around at college? Sometimes you got to know how accessible it is if they're in a wheelchair. Um, do they have an elevator? Do they not? And also transportation. How are they going to get to and from somewhere? Can they drive? Can they not? And finding work. They want to work. They want to have a job. Um, and then the, the, mo- the hardest probably for parents and them is living outside of their parents' home. Um, their parents have taken care of them for so many years and um, just the challenges alone with just having a child and then you letting them go to college and whatever is hard enough, but then a child that has special needs and has um, other disabilities and challenges when they get out there, um, how that can be and affect their family and how, how that's going to um, work for them. Another thing that is becoming a hot topic is relationships and sexual health. That has become a big thing. Most um, people with spina bifida, especially um, women, think they can't become pregnant. Um, Therefore, they don't have safe sex or practice safe um, things. So they they can still get STDs. They can still become pregnant. And so we have to start talking to them a little more about um, taking care of themselves in that aspect as well. Great. And based off these identified challenges, what interventions are commonly utilized to offer independence in this age group? Yeah, our, you know, I didn't mention, but um, our social worker is very big in our clinic. Um, she is a big help. Um, she will steer them towards their community resources. She will help them with forms. Certain colleges have certain forms to help them realize their, um, where things are accessible and do they need more time for catheterization and different things. Sometimes, you know, Kids aren't college, they don't want to go to college, but they don't need to stay at home all day. So she'll give them, you know, adult day camps or volunteering is big. A lot of um, our patients, some volunteer at the police department or fire department and just do certain odds and end things. So there's all kinds of opportunities out there for them. And our social worker is big in helping our children and young adults now um, understand that as well as their parents. Um, Also having those patients communicate with others who have been through the same experience. We find that is even more helpful 
um, you know, other spina bifida patients or parents that have young adults with spina bifida, just to talk to them about anything that could help them to be prepared and, and understand what is there to come and what can they do to help then become more independent or if they go to college or do other things. Fantastic. So in closing, what are some key takeaways when fostering independence with the spina bifida population? So I think the biggest is help them find a great support system. I mean, I think in, in, in the long run, that's what they need. Um, they need a great support system. And our clinic is there to help with that, but also, you know, having the parents be a big support, but also other spina bifida patients and other resources, their Facebook forums and Facebook groups, and they can reach out to all kinds of other. The Spina Bifida Association is a great thing that we see our patients and families to. So if they just need to, you know, get them to talk with other children and other teens and other young adults and other people with spina bifida, um, I think that would help them um, foster a more independent environment because if they see other children that are like them, I mean, all kids are like that. Whether you have spina bifida or not, they're looking at other children wondering, how can I do that? I want to do that. I want to be like that person or be able to do that. Then if they see someone else like them, um, then they may want to be better and want to be more independent. Great. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional, where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us professional.